okay, it was so great to have you on. And I know that we didn't get to all of your trends, Lisa Marie. So you're going to have to send them over. We will share them with the Ichi community in the Slack channel and make sure that we can get all of the trends because that is what people are here for. We want to know what's coming up. We want to know what the industry thinks is happening so that we can prepare because, you know, we'll be so prepared. Preparedness. <laughs> okay, so this next segment that we're working on had, uh, it came from a meme that we saw online that was just a bunch of old people at, at a, in a booth giving advice, random advice. And so I put the meme up, old coots giving advice, and everybody on my LinkedIn feed was like, oh my gosh, you must do this. So we decided we would invite a boomer, a Gen X, and a millennial. We're not going to do any advice at this point, though, but I think what I would like to do is share some stories about what life was like pre-cell phone, what life was like when we used to have to use fax machines <laughs> to actually get things done, and a little bit of nostalgia today. So I think we have Adrian on the line. Is that right? Hey there. Adrian, so good to see you. Okay, hey, so yes. we like to call Adrian the godfather of the spontaneous think tank. Because Adrian was actually the one from his incredible way of doing participatory meetings that I knew from uh, 28 years ago and <laughs> invited him in to our first big unconference and helped us shape what spontaneous think tanks are today. And so, Adrian, I just want to, first of all, thank you for being in our lives and being in our community. And oh. second, thank you for being here today. I know it's past your bedtime, so thanks for standing up. Ah! <laughs> You're right. This is late. This is late. This is late. I agree. And I, and I just want to point out my boomer uh, credentials. There's right behind me is a whole stack of CDs. And uh, oh. there's an actually a CD player. And I have a fax machine in this office. So You do not. I do. I do. But do you have a floppy disk? Oh. Now there's one in the stack somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Okay, so I have always known you for your participatory meetings, but were you in other types of events? Like, did you do trade shows, conferences? What's your background? Well, I the background is is that I've always been fascinated. I've always wanted, had this feeling. I wanted to uh, when I went to meetings, and I was an academic a long time ago, mm. and I would go to academic conferences, and I hated them because. You know, you didn't meet anybody. You listened to lectures. There were those five minutes of Q and A at the end. I just, and so, um, and I was always drawn. I didn't understand at the time to create meetings um, about whatever I was working on. I've done have, this is my like my fifth career. I've done a lot of different things, and whatever I was doing, I would create meetings for them. And they were conventional meetings because so I didn't know anything better. Until one day, I had to create a meeting on a topic that was brand new. No one had ever. Uh, we'd never had a conference, there'd never been a conference on it before. It was like, there are no experts to invite and come and lecture to us. So what do I do? So I kind of invented this way of, well, we need to find out who's here and what they're interested in talking about and what experience they have that other people might find interesting. And, um, and then we'll create a, a, a we'll, we'll meet, uh, we'll talk about stuff. And um, that happened in 1992. Mm -hmm. um, that was the first time I did that. And I, um, uh, you know, and, and, and people loved it. That conference, it's 30 years old now. It's still going every year, uh, a four-day conference that's completely, uh, the program is completely generated by the participants when they get there. No one knows what's going to happen. And that's been going for 30 years now. And uh, then I wrote a was book it about always, it. People seem to like it. And here we go. Was it always 
paper, very tactile, very analog? Is that how it's always been? Well, when we started, you know, I mean, the internet was like email, uh, you know, 92, 92, it's 30 years yeah. ago. Uh, the internet was just coming in. So everything was done on paper. You know, evaluations were on paper. We did uh, we did stuff on sheets of paper, you, you know, session sign up. We came up with the topics and then wrote the topic and then people wrote down, I, yeah, I'd like to go to that one, that kind of stuff. It was all analog, you know, oh, those days. Oh, um, those days. And I have to admit that I still use analog there. You know, I, I've spent, you know, 30 years doing this now. And there's still times like we did in Austin with your conference at Hotokimatsu, um, where um, uh, analog methods are great. Everyone knows how to use them. There's no tech needed. Uh, you know, everyone pretty much knows how to use a pen and write on notes. And, <laughs> and then sticking notes on a wall is a great way to, you know, get a good feeling of everything that everybody wants to talk about or contribute or share and so on. It's very effective. So I still use that stuff sometimes. But, you know. Do you think for the moment, pen and paper are still multi-generational? I'm afraid that it might go away, though. What do you think, Nicole? You're the youngest one here. Do you think oh. that people are going to get rid of paper and pen? Wow. Wait, she's the youngest? Yeah. Are we correct on that? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, I think definitely paper and pen. And I actually think, just my opinion, that as we add more tech, as we add AI, as we're, I mean, we still are spending you know, so much time looking at our screens and phones, I still think that that is like, it's human nature to not be drawn to technology. That makes your life easier. It's human nature to be drawn to each other and to be, you know, to write, to be tactile, to do those things. Even if you didn't grow up with it, I still think that there, there's going to be, like almost that's going to be the new AI one day, <laughs> or the new old AI kind of thing um, where people just want to go back. like. There's a reason why people want to go outside and they don't want to look at trees on a screen. They want to be in the trees. And so I think that, you know, those forms of, you know, writing and pen and paper, you know, there's that. And then I am a big fan of love letters. So I always think that it's romantic to do that. So I'm never giving up on it anyway. Mm. All right, my Gen Xer over there. You know, actually, I... I need to be very careful, Adrian, to not go down a rabbit hole with you because you went to Oxford and you have a PhD in high energy yeah. experimental physics. Um, mm -hmm. I'm more curious what's the world going to look like in 20 years with this, with the advent of AI. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, it was funny. I was thinking the other day, um, I, we were in New York City and I was there with, with my two business partners who are younger guys. And you know, they're on their phones. We we're having pr trouble getting a signal. And they were so lost. And I was thinking, man, if this was 30 years ago, I'm at the corner of 28th and Lexington, and I've got a maps, a Rand McNally maps book, never mind the entire history of the universe, you know, in my pocket. So um, I think things are just happening so fast. And I think it's a really exciting time to be in business because I think things are happening so quickly and so dynamically. I think the world we live in 20 years from now, we won't recognize today. So that's my, my big projection. So Adrian, what do you think about, um, you're doing a lot of still multi-generational meetings. And so how are they working right now? Because it's, it's one of the only times we've had this many generations in the workforce together, I think. You know, they, they tend to age out and then they don't happen anymore. But this time we're everywhere. We've got the from right. Gen Zs to boomers who are all still having to work together. Have you experienced that in live meetings or online events? Yeah. You know, there are aspects. I, I, I don't like the, you know, Gen X, Y, Z stuff very much. I mean, you know, it's mm -hmm. useful in certain ways, but 
I think the thing to concentrate on, the important thing to concentrate on is that uh, human beings, most of them really want to connect. And that, uh, that goes across generations and it goes across, uh, even goes across cultures. I mean, people say, oh, well, you know, will your stuff work in, you know, in, in, different, in, different, in different cultures? And my experience is it does because underneath all the cultural stuff that's layered on top uh, is this desire to connect and communicate in ways that, that work. And that it doesn't matter, you know, someone is, is young at a meeting, uh, you know, you've got someone who's been in the field for 40 years, let's say, and someone new comes in who knows something that, you know, I've never even heard of, and I can learn from them, and they can learn from me. And that's how the meetings that I try to, that I design and facilitate uh, work. Uh, people discover, they're given this structure to discover who else is there who's valuable and useful to them and who you, they, you are useful and valuable to as quickly as possible. And then, you know, you, you make it as safe as possible for people to do stuff and do what they want and need and uh, you let them do it. Yeah, I do think that's completely accurate. Is That's why we love these types of activities and events where you can get people together for those conversations. Because when you look at the old format of events, the keynote breakout expo, it is definitely the older crowd that's used to being lectured to that are willing to sit there right. and listen to the sit and get content. And then the newer crowd is just immediately on their phone, which is extremely disrespectful to, disrespectful mm -hmm. to the presenter, but also... The presenter can't keep their attention then like what are we going to do here so yeah. nicole you love sitting in a keynote session oh please that is if there's a prison you, that's it for me <laughs> can't i can't do it i have no attention span i just want to be in the hallway but I, I i do sometimes take a nugget from the keynotes if i am stuck in there all day for whatever reason um you know love those quick tips um, I want to listen and ingest content in a way, and not because of how old I am, but just like I have ADHD. Like I can't sit in there and just be, you know, so focused and take it all in. I just want it in like fireworks, right? Hard and fast, right at me. Where, you know, even books, I don't love to read a whole book. I want the cliff notes of the book. And I totally get the whole premise of it and can put, you know, can put it together. But um, I, I think that that's, you know, the worst thing to do is sit in a dark ballroom all day. Um, when there's just this world and all of the people in the room listening to one person talk at you for eight hours. So if keynotes, if you got to do them, fine. 20 minutes tops, man. Like, that's it. Well, and I, I think, Nick, so your world is video content. Yep. And I think that, you know, obviously the younger generation is much more ready to consume all of their content on their phone, on mobile devices. And the older generation, I think we're still seeing, we'll still have it on desktop. We don't, I don't really want to watch a whole movie on my phone unless I'm on the plane. I still want it up on a little bit bigger screen. But my dad, I know, is started, he's not in TikTok yet, but, you know, starting to look at some of the other things and pay attention. My mom will watch Facebook. So how, what kind of content can actually transcend everybody? I, it's short form content. And we found this sweet spot with that. Everyone, regardless of age, is, is interested in a 15 to 45 second clip of something. However, with that said, there's the opportunity to expand on that to lead into long form. Um, we don't have data on that, so I would just be talking anecdotally, but there's no question that our numbers show regardless, there's no difference in the ages of people that are watching the short form. Mm -hmm. I think it's in what you do with it. And then also thinking about the call to action, right? If you're creating short form content that's going to have a call to action, who's it geared toward understanding your ideal client, the personas that you're actually talking to? I think that's an opportunity that's missed, um, especially too, since I got into more of the B2B tech space. You know, I found that marketers had 
these templated personas that this is the way it is. And I think the more that you really get granular with who you're speaking to, if you really know your audience and who exactly you're trying to address, I think you're more likely to, to get traction. Well, I'm interested in advice. So we did originally title this group uh, or this session, Old Coots Giving Advice. So Adrian, when you look at the younger group coming up in the industry, what kind of advice would you give them about what's going to happen? Because the world is changing. How would you tell them to buckle up? Well, I, I think I'd tell them how many, what, what, where to start. Um, <laughs> I mean, the one thing, maybe they've got this already, but uh, the whole concept of uh, that was common when I went to school. It's like you go to school and then that's what you're going to be doing the rest of your life. The whole concept that, uh, and I think I'm an, a, a good example, and uh, maybe rare, I know, but you know, I'm on my fifth now, you know, uh, and um, I think that's uh, the rule rather than the exception these days. In other words, you know, why, what are you doing? You know, my, my younger daughter is in her thirties and she's just finally, you know, decided this is where I want to go next. You know, it's not, and, and I think that's a very healthy choice. It's not the, the kind of myth is, uh, or certainly used to be that you would know what you wanted to do early on in life. And, you know, we all know these days that the job that you may end up doing, the thing that you love to do hasn't maybe even been invented yet, you know, by the mm -hmm. time you maybe leave college and so on. Uh, or maybe you're going to create it yourself. I mean, uh, you know, we, we still, I, I, I do something that almost no one else in the world does. I specialize in designing and facilitating meetings. There are very few people who do that in the world. And, and so, you know, and I don't know that that really existed as a, as a, as a job that you could make money at, uh, you know, 20 years ago. So um, uh, we create our own positions these days, and there's a lot more I think it's much more possible to do that if you see where you're going, uh, wh a place you want to go. The, the central advice I would always give, you know, when I taught college, um, tell my students is like figure out at, at any point in time, figure out what it is you really want to do. And, and the, even if you think it's impossible and then see if you can make it happen, you know, uh, oh, I can't do this because I don't have this credential. Well, anyway, I'd love to work with these people or this company. Go to that company, talk to them, uh, see, you know, they'll they'll get, if, if the company is good, they'll get your enthusiasm. They'll get the fact, wow, this person would be great. If they don't, then you probably wouldn't want to work there anyway. So I think that advice has worked. It's worked out very well for me. And I think it works out well for a lot of people. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not following your bliss, but it's following your intuition. Where are you right now? What would you really like to do? And then don't uh, be realistic, but don't let, you know, some kind of artificial stuff get in the way. 